Welcome to The Creator State, where we share stories of social innovation and entrepreneurship for movers, shakers, creators, and changemakers. Each episode will celebrate success and failure, ingenuity, and the endless pursuit of knowledge, from education to implementation. Join us as we explore everything in between. The Creator State. Today's guest, Regina Louise, never knew a normal childhood. Throughout her tumultuous youth, she will shuffle through more than 30 foster homes and psychiatric facilities, all before the age of 18. Compounding the trauma, a racially motivated ruling in 1974 prevented Regina's counselor from being able to adopt her. And yet, after aging out of the foster care system, Regina pursued her dream of higher education, built a thriving hair salon business, and became a successful author, motivational speaker, and advocate for foster youth. After nearly 30 years of separation, Regina reunited with her counselor and was adopted as an adult in the same courthouse where the pair lost their previous legal battle. For more than 16 years now, Regina has traveled the country telling her story to bring awareness to the systemic failures that continue to affect foster youth today. In April 2019, a film based on Regina's memoirs premiered on Lifetime along PSAs about adoption and foster care giving voice to the more than 400,000 children currently in the U.S. foster care system. Join us for this moving conversation with Regina Louise about taking control of your own story, no matter the circumstances, and using your voice to become your own hope. I'm your host, Kirby Hines. Welcome to The Creator State. So my first official question to you is, what is your creative process? What is the creative process like for you? Great question. I move from this place within that is very free, that is very unencumbered by should, shouldn't, and I allow whatever wants to emerge, emerge, and then I like to go and plant that. And what I mean by that is when I want something, or when my, my, my spirit nudges me to go in a particular direction, nine out of 10 times, I'm going to have to go and plant my voice, plant my intention, plant the presentation, whatever it is, I end up having to go to that place that I'm drawn to and plant my future in the moment. And then, I work towards listening to how it pulls me back to its place. And a case in point is I, five years ago, went to a theater in North Hollywood and planted my voice and intention in that theater. Then, then five years later, I screened my movie at that theater. Wow. It happened that way. Uh, so that's my creative. It's, it's, it's being propelled to get to the most awkward places. You know, my, my spirit will say, okay, New York. And then somehow I'm in New York. And then I'm standing on stage at, you know, a, a theater. <laughs> and then the next thing I know, I'm meeting with T.D. Jakes's, uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes's person, and I say to him, 
oh yeah, I was at the theater, the St. Charles Theater, and I watched Choir Boy. And oh, and by the way, I have a one-person show that could also be a five-person play. And then he says, oh, okay, that's the theater. We're considering putting some off-Broadway stuff in. Wow. So it's, yeah, and it just goes, goes, goes like that. That is so, that's, um, it's such an interesting thing to hear you articulate that because just, you know, having worked with you in the past, um, I can see how that translates into how you approach, you know, your process. Um, And with that, uh, can you talk a little bit about um, how you decided to start writing your memoirs? Now, I know there are two, but can you talk about just how, what that decision process was like for you? So again, I had a, what I like to call a disorienting experience where I had asked my muses to send me some kind of a sign uh-huh. and that that writing was for me because I hadn't, I, because of how I grew up in foster care, I finished four years of high school in a year and a half. And in that, English never came up. And I, I don't know how. So English intimidated me. And the idea of the written word, I, I knew it in terms of speaking. I'm, I can be quite loquacious, but in terms, because in speaking, the, the pauses come naturally. The accentuation <laughs> points come naturally. But to... Right articulate that on paper is, is that's an art form in and of itself. And I didn't feel I had that. So when I had this experience where I ran into my biological father and I thought I was going to commit suicide, but Hmm. something in me said, this is the time that you do it differently. And I was like talking to myself, like, don't tell me what to do. And then something said, instead of committing suicide, go home. And I'm like, but there's no one to go home to. And something said, go home. And then I go home and then I'm like, I wish I had a mother to call. And something said, call your therapist. Remember that agreement you had? So I called her and I left a message and that helped. And I recognized at that moment that I was literally writing on the wind. I was literally Hmm. like speaking internal voicemail. I was literally writing. And it's like liquid, liquid vocabulary. So then something said, sit down. Something said, find a piece of paper. And I found the time. Something said, get a pencil. And I resisted and I fought it. And I said, I don't want a piece of paper. I'd rather get a razor blade. And said, we're not having that conversation anymore. Now sit down and get a pencil. And I did. And I started writing. Careful not to disturb the raggedy screen door, right? Wow. The, that barely kept the band. Mosquitoes that, you know. So that first thing that I wrote was the only thing in my book. <laughs> that my editor never edited it. She left it in its purest state. Wow. Then that, that I began to doubt myself, which is why I ended up coming to get an MFA because I would show up at places like Squaw Valley to risk. And I would be like one of maybe one and a half black people. And right. Uh-huh. And, 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 and I did these, girls that would say stuff like your voice is, is like um alice walker and they've already done it so you're stealing their voice and i didn't understand 
And I did not even understand that I should have been more protective of my art because I didn't even know it was an art. I didn't have any idea of what I was doing. I was just doing it, letting spirit work. So I didn't even know that I should have said to her, excuse me, however, you do not have permission to tell me the borders and the boundaries of what I can and cannot do. You know, like she thought that I just, you know, copied uh, the bluest eye. Yeah. And I'm thinking I'd never read the bluest eye. Having had you in a classroom, in a writing classroom, and listening to you articulate and remembering how you would embody elements of your writing or elements that came before the writing, uh, and then the challenge of taking those elements and putting them down on paper. Can you talk a little bit about um, what role education in that sense has played um, in your life, but also what you learned um, about perhaps yourself, your creativity, uh, your existence within these quote-unquote educational spaces? What a brilliant, deep, that's a dissertation question right there. (laughs) Wow. Well, I learned that linguistically, I've had this romantic relationship with language. And I understand that words conjure images which evoke feeling and emotion and altered states. And I've learned how to occupy the context of a word in, in, in the ways that that word is, is meant to be explored and occupied. And I think huh. having that coming into an education, it was genius and brilliant and beautiful partially because I knew that as an African-American woman and an autodidactic and an other-styled learner, that I would need the credentials to back up the ways in which I might experientially present. Uh-huh. So it's like, no matter how I'm going to come at, come at you with this, you can never take away the fact that I worked for three years to get an MFA and that is genius in its own right. And there's just this beautiful relationship with that. It's probably one of the juiciest, most delicious accomplishments I have. And from the, from the understanding, like I said, now I know that I could have said to those women, had I been educated, had I understood drunk and white, had I understood, you know, objective correlatives, and that very privileged status quo language that I encountered at Squaw Valley that I did not even realize. This is a table that, although I know they mean well and I love them, the diversity is here, but the inclusion is not. And oftentimes that's the case. So education helped me understand how to permission myself in such a way that I could challenge structures and systems to include me. Wow. To not just have me there as a politicized black body or, 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 or a particularly gendered, you know, ethnic body, but to also say, ah, it's my responsibility 
to educate myself in an effort to close the gap on my own disadvantage. So this is so so then asserting yourself in that space that then takes us to uh, this other space where your life is now made into a movie or, or aspects of your life. So talk about that a little bit and what, you know, what it was like to occupy that type of a space. It's thank God for my education once again, because I, I was able to think like the screenwriter thought. I was able to take what was already innate people that always said as I began to write that I wrote cinematically. Mm. And of course I did not understand that. But again, in my education, I learned what, what cinematic meant. I learned what episodic meant. So I was, once I understand stood these particular concepts, I was able to find ways to solve for them. And then I knew that, if I could come to, if I could present in a way where I could contribute to the project while simultaneously holding a certain degree of grace, hmm. that I would be allowed, and a certain degree of decorum, I would be allowed on the set. And as it turned out, I was on the set. I worked with the director directly to actually rewrite scenes. Wow. You know, and if my if the if the screenwriter heard this, she would die. But it's the truth, and it's because I I because I I'm I'm a non traditional student, right? You know, I'm an adult, a, a serious adult, yeah. and and so working with that skill set, I was able to take what I'd learned in grad school, and I and I get emotional. I might get emotional. I feel like I had grad school before I went to grad school because I had planted that a long, 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 long time ago. And then I showed up in grad school and I was able to pour everything I had into that mold opportunity to step into the next iteration of my own capacity. There's so much, there's so much there to that. And, and, you know, having been part of that process and having had you in my classes and having had meetings um, on different, projects that you were working on, um, realizing, you know, how true it is, what, what you're saying is, is, is very cool. Now, let's get into the creator's state of mind. In each episode, we ask our guests to share what's been on their minds, something they can't stop thinking about, a new challenge they're facing, or what's inspired them into action recently. We call it the creator state of mind. So, ironically, I was on the press junket to promote a little movie, and I had an opportunity to go to TD Bishop TD Jakes's Potter's house, and somehow this idea of visiting his congregation, the pulpit, right? Mm-hmm. And so the 12-year-old in me ran to the center of this, you know, behemoth yes. building, this behemoth space. And I stood at center stage and I started with 
You know, if anybody was to ask me how I came to be here, I swear, oh God, I wouldn't know what to say to him, which is part of my one woman show. Wow. And I just planted it north, east, south, west. And then out of nowhere, and I mean it, well, this morning, less than an hour ago, I'm sitting at the montage in Beverly Hills speaking to his other, his, his business partner, discussing what it would be like to partner with them on my plays, on the next iteration of my story. It is always a valuable learning opportunity to take time to reflect. At the end of each interview, we like to ask our guests this. In hindsight, what is something you wish you would have known when you were starting out? When I was in solitary confinement, If I had known then, truly known then, when I was scratching the floor of light that slid through the threshold of that closed door, if I had known then that I truly would one day stand among thousands and shed light on a situation dispossess people if i had known then that i would be that one to do that i would have hated myself less doubted myself less and loved myself completely through it wow this is where we should stop and i um you know i I'm remembering uh, the multiple meetings and sessions that we had. I know. uh, Discussing your work. And I remember moments in my little office where you would stand up and you would begin to become the characters. Or you you would riff on verbiage or you would say things. And I would go, that should be on a page. I know. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we go oh, curb. Yeah. I oh, I yeah. just said it. I and it is so. I I'm so proud that you know you are finding that space where what you do in in three dimensions can be translated to these other dimensions and help other folks because there's only one of you, but you're clearly finding ways to multiply yourself and to you know translate that energy and that spirit that you always bring to the room uh into other mediums so i'm i'm very 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 proud of you and what you're doing and how you're doing it oh god like thank you wow In our next episode of The Creator State, alumna Taylor Pollard explains what it means to be flexing in my complexion and how she's used fashion, photography, and social media to create a clothing line with her younger sister, empowering people of color to feel confident in their skin. Thanks for listening. Find more information about our guests at creatorstate.com. Do you know someone creating something great? Send us what you're creating for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. Write us at creatorstate at ucr.edu. There's a team creating this podcast. 
Help us by subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen. And while you are there, leave us a review. Our producer for this show is Jennifer Merritt, with audio and editing by Chan Moon and Kevin Williams. Digital strategy by Kelly McGrail and Madeline Adamo. Designed by Chrissy Danforth, Denise Wolfe, Brad Rowe, and creative director Luis Sands. Special thanks to Christy Zwicky and Jessica Weber. This show is brought to you by the University of California, Riverside. I'm your host, Rekurby Hines. Thanks for joining us in the Creator State.